0: What makes the Warriors' attack so unique this year? Will the volume of three-point shots ever level off? Are analytics controlling too much of the action? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I am pleased to bring on the show today, Ben Cohen, who is a sports reporter for the Wall Street Journal and covers the NBA? And Ben, you just thank first of all, thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, man.
0: Uh, and it's a pleasure because you know you just wrote an article somewhat recently about the mid range, and it bubbled up into my timeline, and I started to read it, and it was like it just it, it kind of had a profound effect on me because it's been speaking to what I've said for a while. And I wanted you to just sort of give us an outline of, of what you the, the the mid-range article you wrote about the Warriors and what the the, the theme of it was
1: sure I mean, I mean I think we all know like the mid-range has never been less popular in the NBA than it is right now and for good reason I mean we, we know now we have the data to show that like the mid-range is just not a very valuable shot um, and you know the three-pointer has kind of overtaken it and probably the team that was most responsible for that over the last few years was was the Warriors, and then, of course, the Rockets, and you know, one of the interesting things about um, what the Warriors are doing this season is um, they're actually kind of bringing the mid-range back a little bit, the, basically, old has become new, uh, and become old, and then new again. The, the, this cycle has happened that um, teams are so crazy about um, uh, running the Warriors off the line and protecting the rim, that they're giving them all this space in between, because you can take away a lot of stuff with that team, but you can't take away everything. and they are, you know, they took advantage in in the regular season, and they're doing it again in the postseason. I mean, this is a team that is getting more value from the mid range, like the mid range, not three point line, not the restricted area, not the mid range, uh, than any <laughs> team in like the last 20 years, basically. So um, the fact that they're the fact that the, that Golden State is the fact that any team is doing this would be interesting. The fact that Golden State is doing it, and we all know everything about Golden State. I mean, I, I found it really fascinating, and and so uh, a couple other guys explained this strategy to me, and you know, it's not by accident that, th- that they're doing this. I mean, it is because there is value there and they are willing to go anywhere that they think there might be value.
0: Absolutely. And first of all, we got to describe what the mid-range is because that's become a four-letter word. And <laughs> what was frustrating to me is a few years ago is when this became like the term, it kind of encapsulated any shot between like eight feet, and 23 feet before the three-point line, or something like that. To me, the mid-range was always like 15, 16, 17-footer, which to a good shooter is like a layup if it's open, and yet, uh, you know when you talk to the analytics guys, and this is sort of what the, the crux of what I had issues with uh, over the years in uh, discussing this was that, and I get it. If you're an analytics guy and you're a math guy, then it's very black and white. It's very binary. There is a, a, a specific answer to every question. And so the idea that you would ever take those shots, you, you know, was was ridiculous. You can't. You you are wrong for taking those shots. You shouldn't be taking those. And if you, even if you're not a three point shooter, you should just back up and shoot behind the line. Any. Anyway anyway because you get you might get that extra point so that was always what was troubling to me but what what are we defining as far as mid-range in in, as far as feet from the basket
1: well i was using the nba when i put together this stat i was putting i was using the nba's definition of mid-range but i you know i think that probably 16 to 24 feet is uh is is what i think of too um basically something that's not in the paint and you know you kind of wish like why you, you you watch the shot and you're like why are you shooting there? Just take a couple steps back or drive to the basket. Why are you settling for that type of thing? So, uh, but this was the official, you know, NBA definition when they break it down into zones, basically.
0: Fair enough. Okay, and and again, we, I, if we do a little research, I'm sure it's going to be uh, somewhere in that area. And by the way, I'm not even that fond of those shots beyond 20 feet because then you're getting close. You are getting close enough, but the the, the 17, 18, 19, 20 footer. Uh, is the one that was always sort of like, I couldn't understand why that was going away so much. I mean, I, I, I guess what they're looking at, and here's the crux of the matter is, what they're looking at is a macro uh, uh, view of the numbers, right? When they're looking at the percentage of mid-range shots, the field goal percentage, they're, they're like looking at everybody shooting those. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, totally. So you're talking about shooters who the defense are happy that they're shooting those shots because they're not good shooters we're not just looking at like a Kyle corver shot uh you know what i mean we're not just looking at kevin durant or lamarcus Aldridge so all of a sudden to me it was always a very noisy um you know a stat where they're basing the entire uh you know their whole philosophy of offense on one of the noisiest stats i've ever heard of
1: I don't know if that's true, though, because I feel like over a whole season and then, you know, over, you know, a whole career, um, it becomes less noisy. I mean, the fact is, like, it's I, I still don't think it's a great shot for most players. Right. And especially for most teams. But if if you're trying to defend the Warriors, I mean, you know this as well as anyone. What are you supposed to do? You don't want to give them three pointers and you don't want to let them drive. So, like, you have to give them something. And probably the mid range is the best thing to give them, even if they happen to be like, the best mid-range team of the last 20 years. Like, what, what else are you supposed to do?
0: Yeah. And by the way, Jeff Hornacek had a great point a few years ago about this, where in the playoffs, when they are prepared for you, they're going to drive you off the line or they're going to run you off the line. They're going to wall up to you. Know, it's hard to get into the paint. So what you're left with, yeah, are those mid-range shots. And so are you really going to design a whole offense where you have no experience shooting those in the regular season to well, then have to take some of those?
1: it's a really interesting point and i was there i was i was around the team asking them about this in early march and every single person i talked to was already talking about the playoffs saying like this is going to become a bigger deal in the playoffs when teams take away your first and second and your third options and we have this to fall back on and they turned out to be right so like during the regular season the warriors took 20 mid-range jumpers a game uh and they they shot 47 percent on those uh so far in the playoffs they're up to 25 mid-range jumpers a game and they're shooting 51 percent so they're getting more than a point per possession out of that and then if you go back to the pelican series the last one uh they were at 26 point uh 26.8 mid-range jumpers so even more than the first round and then when steph came back in those last four games um they took 28 per game so they're really living there and i think we're seeing that like even in the Rockets, I mean, you know, no team takes uh, relies less on mid-range jumpers than the Rockets, and for good reason. But we saw in that Jazz series, like, Chris Paul won them that series in the mid-range in a lot of respects. I mean, he was mm-hmm. able to penetrate, and he stopped, and he just shot over Rudy Gobert, and they talked about that a lot. Like that, I think that was one of the reasons why Houston wanted to go out and get CP3 was because he provides that offensive variety that really becomes especially important in the playoffs when teams take away everything you want to do and you're left with things that maybe you don't want to do.
0: I mean, for sure. And then also, you know, even James Harden uh, was making mid-range shots as well. Not a ton, but there were enough when I went through every make he had against the Jazz that we were seeing that. Uh, you know, they were really trying to sag off of him. And that, that's the other problem defensively. And what we saw with Rudy Gobert, which really frustrated me was, their whole take was, yes, we want to invite them to take a mid-range shot, but then they wouldn't, like, get a hand up. <laughs> and that was like, and, and that's that was sort of my point before, which was, you know, to a lot of these shooters – the, the there, there is an expected value, uh, expected field goal percentage would be higher, in my mind, on, a, on an open 17-footer than it would be on a three. Now, here's the thing that I want to talk about because a lot of times, you know, the basic math is, is, and correct me if I'm wrong, you need to shoot 60% from two to equal 40% from three. That's sort of the, the maximum, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you go back and look to see what, you know, these teams shoot from every part of the court, you can figure that out. And it basically... I mean, I think I have this in the story. It works out to, like, the the average return across the NBA, so not for the Warriors and, you know, especially not for Steph Curry, a long two is about 0.8, 0.8 points per shot, whereas, like, something in the paint is, like, 1.25 and something behind the three-point line is, like, 1.1 and probably, like, you know, a catch-and-shoot three or something that is not, like, you know, a force three 28 feet away is a lot higher than that, so you know clearly the basic math shows that it's not a good shot.
0: Fair enough. But again, we're talking about the entire everybody who's ever taken a shot in the yes, NBA from correct. that position. So, you know, Kyle Korver's expected field goal percentage from a, on an open 18-19-20 footer has to be
1: a lot higher than that, right? Yes. Yep, totally. And you know, and you look at Steph. I mean, Steph shot 59% from the mid-range this year. It's like the best mid-range season in the last 20 years, like since the NBA started tracking this sort of thing. And he's gotten better in the mid range, and it's because that's what he works on. He knows that teams are going to run him off the line, and they're going to give him probably an open, you know, close to an open jumper or more of an open jumper that he would get from 24 feet. They'll give that to him from 18 or 19 feet, and if he takes it and he gets 1.2 points per their, per, per shot there, it's a good shot for Steph Curry.
0: Yeah, a good shot for the team. It, it would ultimately be worth more. Now, do we, do we know what Curry's point per possession is on threes? It's He it shoots 40-something percent. So what is that, Math? Um, uh,
1: I don't know what he's at this year. But if he shot 44 percent, it's like 1.3 points per shot, right? Okay. And, um, you know, and of course, like, you probably want Steph Curry taking a three. But what he is saying is, like, don't, like, if if you're going to give this to me, I will take it and I will make you pay for it, you know?
0: Yeah. So here, I guess the, the next iteration of this is okay. And, and by the way, what I thought was interesting about the the, the historical aspect of your numbers was that the mid range went up more recently than uh, when KD first arrived. I would have thought that the, the the first season he was there was when we would have seen a, a bigger jump in the mid range because he did seem to you know have that game that would you know indicate that. So, but you didn't see that, right? You what you noticed was that it was only uh, this year was when the mid range uh, perked up.
1: Uh, I think that's right. I think it, it, it kind of held steady last year, if I remember correctly. Um, I can check this really quickly. But, but yeah, it was mostly, it was this year. And it was because of the way the teams were guarding them. And it's because like, you know, they were at the forefront of the way that offenses are changing, right? And defenses scrambled to catch up. And their solution was to give them this shot. So this was the first year that they you know, started taking more of their shots because it was the first time that it was really offered to them, I think.
0: Yeah. And by the way, from a coaching perspective, I'll just throw this in there because people might be listening and thinking. Well, you know, and I think a lot of analytics guys will say there really isn't anything you can do defensively to contest or to combat a three-point shot. I think that a lot of guys think it's sort of random uh, as far as what the defense is doing. And I uh, would point out that that's absolutely not true at at all. In fact, what you end up seeing is, you know, people leaving their feet to contest shots in the air, which is what they've noticed has the most effect on a three-point shot. And then, you know, not helping one pass away and then also, you know, trying to stop middle penetration. Those are the big three. Um, for limiting three-point shots and so um, but what is what is your thought about that? Like are, are you seeing things that uh, teams are doing specifically that are somehow, uh, you know limiting the number of field goals uh, field goal attempts?
1: From the mid-range or from three
0: from from three?
1: Oh, I, th- I mean you would be able to describe like the actual <laughs> strategies much better than I do But I think it's pretty clear that defenses in the NBA now are designed to like, you know Stop you around the rim and run you off the three-point line, right? Yeah, I mean, I it, yeah, it, it might have a, it, there might be a question of like how effective it is in terms of um, efficiency from three point line. But like I feel like, you know, they it's it's pretty clear that they want to reduce the number of three point attempts We saw like Brad Stevens was talking last night like that was their game plan going in against the Sixers like single team and make you you know not double and 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 create open looks for the three point shooters and it very clearly worked, right?
0: Uh, it, well, they certainly are uh, preparing for the conference finals right now. So I don't know how that necessarily affected the end of that game because it was pretty crazy. Well, they,
1: they started doubling him again, right? I mean, he, they, you know, he was he was too good that they couldn't single him anymore. So in the fourth quarter, they start doubling Embiid, and mm-hmm. they got a whole lot of look. Like I think JJ is going to be thinking about that open three he missed for the whole summer at this point. But yeah. like yeah. the something's got away with it, and you know that you know I know we're talking about the Warriors, but that series was so interesting because you know, Brad even said last night, like, uh, uh, you know, their defense got worse and the Celtics offense got better as the series go- went on. And, like, if the Sixers won that game last night, I think they were winning that series, don't you? Uh,
0: you know, what? Uh, I started know- to have thoughts of that because then they go back to game six at home and that could be a game they could take with the crowd behind them and everything. And then, you know, the problem is, it's, it's you know, even if we're talking stats, the, the home team in game seven is still such a prohibitive favorite that you can't pick against that
1: but you never know I think that's right but then you look back at the series and you're like well they were up more than 20 in game 2 they somehow blew like I was at game 3 and I'm still not really sure how the Celtics won I mean I know how they won but like every time they scored it felt like a small miracle and then you have last night I mean they they won 3 games like by the seat of their pants and I'm not really sure how much longer they could have kept doing that in that series but you know that's why you only have to win 4
0: Right. And by the way, we could talk about that, too, because, you know, this is a free reeling, a free rambling <laughs> podcast, you know, because the other the, the notion of um, T.J. McConnell, which I think Brett Brown might be kicking himself as well for not going to that earlier, uh, opened uh, things up. And I think, did you see the net ratings uh either his net rating or plus minus of uh, all the players in the series? Did you see that?
1: Um, I didn't see the final, but I checked like early in the fourth quarter, and McConnell was like plus thirty-four, and Simmons was like minus fifty or something.
0: Yeah, so that mu- that must be just plus minus, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
0: okay, because I, I, you know, I, I kind of half looked at it on my phone while I was driving, or I wasn't. No, I wasn't driving. Sorry, I just happened to half looked at my phone, and <laughs> uh, and so I saw that. But yeah, that, that's pretty damning when you look at you know Ben Simmons of all people uh, having that much of a, of a of a deleterious effect on a team. Um, and then by putting TJ McConnell in there, it kind of gave them another, you know, another way of getting their offense going. Um, but actually, let's talk about that for a second because I'm kind of curious. You know, what's, we're, as we are moving towards, you know, the future of the game, it, it, do you feel like we're going to end up having the averages like 53 point shots attempts a game?
1: Uh, well, I think the Rockets probably feel that way. I mean, it's a question that I've, I've, I've talked about um, with a lot of people around the league because – you know i know that these things are cyclical and they are they, they are trends and and you know they are supposed to change but i just don't understand what stops this right like what stops the momentum of the three-pointer it's literally worth one more shot than the two-pointer right one more point than the two-pointer so i i just don't know you know what would stop the upward momentum here it's gone up and up every you know for for however many years now and Teams are players are better shooters and teams rely on the three-pointer more. I know that defenses are going to adapt, but I, you know, I think, you know, I, I just don't know, you have the Rockets, like, you know, setting offensive records for the last two years by taking more three-pointers than anyone thought possible. Like, why, why, why would teams stop taking three-pointers at this point?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one reason is if, you know, you kind of start to see a problem with in the playoffs, you know, if it's not yielding success there, then something, we'll have to look at something. And by the way, I think this is what the point of the whole podcast is, is that, you know, sort of the Warriors have figured that out to some degree, right? Um, and that there yeah, needs to be a better still-
1: balance. They're still the team that, like, you know, embodies, you know, the the effect of the three-pointer. And, you know, let's not forget, like, the Cavs' best lineup is when they put, you know, LeBron on the court and surround him with three-point shooting, right? I mean, this is... Teams win like this right? I mean John Hollander wrote this incredible thing like 10 years ago at this point that basically said like if you want to If you want to start winning games shoot more three-pointers And I don't think that's really changed over the last 10 years
0: Yeah, and I don't want to make it seem like I'm against a three-pointer I mean I was a three-point shooter when I played and it just came in when I was in high school and There's no question. I envisioned you know an offense that that I would run as a team that would be raining down threes I think my take was always that you know if you if your offense could generate 50 good threes a game, then you take 50 good threes a game. And I oh, I, I kind of want to do a video on this over in the off about the bad three pointers, right? Because I would still say there's about 15 percent of the threes taken overall are just for the sake of shooting a three. They're they're not open, uh, they're rushed, they're completely you know um, you know the guys are all over them. It's bad spacing, it's bad shot, shot clock, whatever. Um, and I feel like that you know the shot selection notion is the only thing that's going to end up coming out of this that that, that maybe will adjust what that is but you're right i mean i think at some point it can't keep increasing right i mean it, you know it, at some point is my house going to be worth you know 20 times as much as it's worth now going in the future like no th- we have those those moments where things will will, will slow down or stop um but I, I don't know I, I mean to me maybe the only solution is to, is to back the three point line up a little bit
1: Uh, I think that's interesting. And um, I think you're right. At some point, you know, the league will find the optimal ratio of three pointers. But one of the things that's interesting is that um, it wasn't so long ago that it seemed like the NBA had found that exact ratio. So this seems like almost impossible now. But, you know, the entire history of the three point line. It goes on the court in the NBA in 1980, and pretty much every season until 2007, the number of three-pointers goes up and up and up, right? And there's mm-hmm. that little blip in the middle when they, when they move to the three-point line, and then percentages get a little screwy. But right. for the most part, it's just it's, it's a constantly upward trajectory. So they, they go up and up and up, and then from 2008 until 2012, it completely plateaus. It levels off. Uh, from 2008 until 2012, those five seasons, the number of three-pointers uh, that, that accounted for field goal attempts was 22.2%. It was as if the NBA was behaving. Uh, that They they'd come to this collective realization that one out of every five shots, give or take, mm-hmm. should be a three-pointer. And there's this period of stasis, which seems almost impossible now because of what's happened since then. In the last five years, we've gone from 22.2% to 33.7 percent and it keeps going up and up and up so it's like what happened in those five years and like what's happened since then like it's we're we're clearly working towards uh something more and i think even i think the most progressive people in the league think that you know we're still nowhere near the number like the, the 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 peak number of three pointers that we're going to see um but you know it's it's just interesting to go back and look at Something that wasn't all that long ago, 2012, when you know three pointers only accounted for 22%, 22% of, of shots across the league.
0: Yeah, it, it, you're right. It's crazy. And I'd like to look at it that way like as a percentage of shots because that gives you a sense of how you can compare. Um, now, I think the other interesting thing has to be, uh, aside from the 33% of the, sh- of the shots that are threes, is that the pace has, has the pace changed uh, any significantly in the last in that since 2012 or 2013? Yeah, it's gotten faster, right? I would, I think so, but uh, I had to look at it over time. Um, but I would imagine that's the other thing, right? So we're generating more possessions, and that means more shots. But I guess you're right. That's why we have to keep it as a percentage. So yeah, I, I think that there's a there's a, there is a happy medium here uh, ultimately. But you're right. It, it still feels like it's gonna get. To, I bet you we'll get to forty percent before we start to see any kind of uh, slowdown, Wouldn't you Wouldn't you think?
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, the Rockets were over 50% this year, right? So they were Mm -hmm. the first team ever to take more threes than twos, and it worked out pretty well for them. So, by the way, pace is way (laughs) up. Since, you know, we knew this, but since 2012, it's gone from like, you know, 91 uh, possessions per 48 minutes to like 97 this year. So it's it's definitely faster, and, um, you know, not only are teams taking more three-pointers, you know, three-pointers are accounting for a greater percentage of their shots, which, of course, is like how you should look at this stuff. So
0: Sure. And, you know, I was funny. I was watching, uh, my goodness, it was in the first round of one of the series. And um, gosh, I'll have to, I, mean, I don't know if it was Portland and whatever, but either way, we were getting a glimpse into what the basketball would look like even 10 years from now, because it was all there, there was no triple threat. It was all attack on the catch. It was all a lot of, you know, fastball movement, fast player movement, a lot of threes up and down. It was kind of dizzying, it, and it's not the game that we've been playing even now, or certainly five, six, seven years ago. It's a completely different game, and that's that was concerning to me. Uh, and I don't know how if the fans are going to, st- you know, to be able to go along with that as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, wh- wh- why wouldn't the fans come along? I mean, it seems like you know, it's uh, you know, if the only way I think that this stuff could change is if there were some sort of external rule change that like changed behavior, but. Like, the league doesn't really have much incentive to change the rules because I think the product right now is seen as, as pretty damn good, isn't it? Yeah, I mean,
0: right. Scoring, dunks, threes. Like, that's that's the idea that you want to sell. Um, I, and you're right. There's always a huge section of the fan base that likes that. There's always the curmudgeons who complain about travels. And when I was their age, you couldn't do that, like that whole thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're right. And I think maybe it's like the Beatles, you know their gradual move from she loves you to uh, you know Sergeargent <laughs> Peppers, right? Like we all move along with that and and we adjust to it. Uh, I, I, and I, but I do say and I think it's very clear to me that yeah, whatever we're gonna whatever the game looks like ten years from now is going to be re, uh, completely different. And so I think the next iteration, because we can kind of see that on offense what that looks like. I think the defense is going to be the next thing that needs to change. And I was actually just trying to think about this the other day is, is what that means I think that there might end up being some really radical strange things that people do now are, are going to start doing to combat that now we did see like you know the random double team of, of you know LeBron James at half court against the when he's playing against the Pacers and that was a nightmare for them it didn't really work really well but I kind of start to feel like we might start seeing a lot more weird gambling zone-ish kind of stuff from the defense
1: Uh, I think that, you know, I think that's probably the natural uh, the natural next step. I mean, it's like adapting to the evolution that we've seen. I mean, and and in many ways, like this offensive change is a response to the defense that Tibbs brought into the NBA over the last 10 years. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We'll give him the credit. Yeah. uh, Yes. So certainly icing the the pick and roll, forcing everybody away from the screens. And by the way, that's now changed radically, too. Um, Now everyone wants to switch. And, right. and that's and that's the other thing is right you by switching you can kind of blow up a lot of that action which by the way it's why I think that the rockets don't really have a great chance against the warriors in the series Um, so yeah I think that switching and and by the way this is not even new you know what the Warriors are doing is basically putting out guys who are all between what what, like I guess except for Curry everyone is 6'6 to 6'9 or 6'10 and they're all long and they're all you know uh, interchangeable you know Pat Riley had this idea back when he was coaching Magic Johnson he's like I want to get five Magic Johnsons and all play the the same position and just go out that way I think he had already seen that back back then so I would suspect that yeah we we probably are going to start seeing that too where we'll see point guards who are, you know, 6'7", and, uh, and he can handle the ball and can shoot. And, and then, you know, your center is going to be like – I think Kevin Durant will ultimately be the center that we'll see in 10 years.
1: By the way, I think having five Magic Johnsons is a good strategy for your team.
0: <laughs> well, here's the thing. Magic really, you know, even at the end there, he wasn't really a good shooter. Would it, would it have mattered?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean that's it's an, and, and you know there's also the question of like if Magic played today would he be a better shooter because that would have been a more important part of his game.
0: Yes, that is true, and and we I think also the key here is we understand how to teach shooting a lot better, um, and that's that's a huge thing, which is another reason why I'm convinced we're, we're we'll start seeing more Steph Curry's. We we will have five Steph Curry's in four or five years. All those ten year olds have been watching him this whole time. They're going to get to the NBA. And they're going to have to, you know, that ability to shoot off the bounce. Which, by the way, the other combat of that, I guess, it has to also be kind of like what we mentioned with, with Draymond Green, where the, the goal of the defense for the Rockets, for instance, is going to be get Draymond Green to shoot as many threes as possible. Yeah. So I, I almost feel like the radical shift for defense coming up will be that. would will be like every, whoever's on the court, they are simply going to choose the one guy that they're going to, like, you know, completely not guard short of a layup. You know, and just try, and that's the, That's the solution: is get the four, the fifth guy out there that you don't want to shoot. Uh, you know, and even if he's good, let him shoot all the shots or as many shots as possible.
1: But that's what the playoffs is, right? The playoffs are about like you 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 know so much about this team that you're playing over the course of seven games that you like you have to take advantage of your 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 little advantages and so you know if if you know you have to find the one weakness on their team and you exploit it until you make them make an adjustment and like if Draymond is going to shoot 40% on three pointers in this series like the rockets are not going to win but yeah. if he shoots 12% then You know, they will and if you shoot somewhere in between then, you know, who knows what happens,
0: right? Yeah, exactly and that's and also it's the it's the ability to identify that every possession down or as many possessions as possible So I did a video on the on the the Toronto Raptors Where they just didn't seem to understand how they want like how they wanted to attack on offense Who do they wanted it to who's the defensive weak link that they want to get every time right whereas The Cleveland Cavaliers, on the other end, uh, were just surgical. They were like, "We are going to hit the, you know, uh, these him and him, and make sure we get that uh, advantage every single time, or at least way more than the Raptors did." And that's what that's what a sweep happens, you know. So uh, I I I think it's
1: not only only identify it, but keep identifying it over the course of the series, right?
0: Yeah, and quickly. You know, so, you know, sometimes teams are like, oh, wait, we had a mismatch down low in the post, but they take 10 seconds to get it down there. And now there's no time for the shot. But, you know, the good teams, the really well-prepared teams are able to to find that right away. And I, you know what? Even if Lou is not preparing them well, when you have LeBron James, uh, you know, he he just identifies that stuff way ahead of time. It's, it's pretty right. impressive. So, well, listen, this was a fantastic uh, discussion about this, and I hope it kind of you know at least people who are listening to this will start to kind of get an the idea that you know the mid range doesn't need to go away and in fact it could be a strategy that you know it, i think the key here is the balance right you don't want to go too extreme on your diet you don't want to go too extreme on the threes either it seems like that's always going to be the case even in the basketball would you agree with that
1: uh yeah depending on the personnel right i mean if uh you know if 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 you have you know guys who are shooting 30% from the mid range then uh then I would uh you know go on a mid range diet and and not take you know all that many of those, but if you have a well balanced team, then it's clearly going to be a part of the game because even when it wasn't a part of the game like teams it wasn't it wasn't as if teams like you know had had uh, uh you know were capable of just ignoring it completely right like I like to you know you almost like to think of it as like There are like you know the mid range is like swimming with piranhas and you're trying to avoid it you know with uh, with everything in your power which you know a lot of teams are but you know they're still taking ten shots between ten and twenty five shots there a game so like that's a a pretty significant portion and like when you take their shots you know it certainly helps when you can shoot fifty percent from there
0: right and the the alternative the the flip side of that is okay if someone's shooting thirty percent from the mid range. Well, they ain't going to be shooting that well from three, as far as I can tell. Like, those guys are just not good shooters, no matter what. So now you're kind of stuck, where I guess the, the point being, as we move along, is that simply those guys will not be able to play. Now, here's what's interesting about this, really quickly as we wrap up. The Two of the biggest stars we have, uh, up-and-coming stars, are, not, um, are almost non-shooters, right? Ben Simmons and uh, Antetokounmpo, neither of whom are good shooters. And I find that really fascinating that we're in a situation here where they also... Can have a significant impact on the court scoring, and yet they don't have any spacing.
1: Uh, totally. And people like to look at them, and you project out. Well, what if these guys do have three point shots? I mean, then you're talking about guys who are just like pretty much unstoppable. And I think you know the other important thing to remember about the mid range is that you know a lot of the three point revolution that sort of um, made the mid range a little bit obsolete was convincing those guys who were who were so good from 16 to 24 feet. To take a step back and start shooting threes, like Marcus Soll and the Marcus Aldridge and these bigs who already had good shots and simply for their entire lives weren't allowed to shoot three pointers, giving them permission, like, take the shot. It's a better shot for you. You don't have to ignore the mid range, but like, take a few steps back and get the extra point for it. And, uh, you know, that is not an issue for Steph Curry, right?
0: Right. <laughs> he he can keep stepping back and it's pretty impressive so well listen Ben thank you so much for coming on the show and breaking this down for us uh, for sure everyone should definitely check him out over at the Wall Street Journal and um, you have to come back on and we'll talk some more
1: great thanks for having me man
0: you got it and don't forget sports fans at b Breakdown we're not a channel we're a conversation you in? are you in Ben? I'm in